Conference of Champions rolls on. No truck stops here. We are the Pac-12. We are the best of the best. Welcome to No Truck Stops, a Pac-12 podcast. I'm Carlos. I'm here with Greg. Hey. And we're also here with Matt Zemick, one of our favorite Pac-12 basketball writers, podcasters, personalities. Uh, Matt Zemick is the editor of Trojans Wire, the USC site for USA Today Sports. He's done great work talking about USC football and basketball, laying out all of the fun narratives and storylines that are coming out of Heritage Hell. Uh, Matt, one, how are you? And two, uh, why haven't you gotten us into any uh, trouble with message boards lately? Well, first off, I just have to bow to you. I mean, I, I have to venerate you for saying <laughs> heritage hell. Like you're, you're keeping the US, UCLA USC fires burning brightly. I, I just tip of the cap. That that is just a masterstroke. So I'm doing fine, especially after USC um, won on Saturday to the surprise of everyone without Isaiah Mobley. And in terms of the message board trouble, just wait until September. <laughs> we say that because uh, we had in one of our first football episodes, uh, Utah wasn't doing well earlier in the season. And Kyle Whittingham, there's uh, we we this was a rumor kind of coming into the season, not really even during the season. And we kind of picked up on it. We we're like, oh, could Kyle Whittingham, is he getting tired? He might retire. Uh, could he just bow out at the end of this? Is it too much? Uh, and Matt, Matt uh, picked up on that, uh, put it on the, put it on Trojans Wire, talked about it, um, and uh, eventually got around all the message boards and the, and we had some message board people messaging us, telling us it's hurting Utah recruiting and all of that stuff. So uh, I mean, it was fine. We, what do we, you know, wh- who are we? We're just, we're just some people but talking. For about- the record, for the record on that, for the record, you know, John Wilner, a, a few months after that particular episode, you know, John Wilner in December was saying, you know, could Rose bowl could be the last game. So yeah. like you were, you were hardly on an Island there. I mean, and if John, we Wilner, drive narratives, <laughs> if, John, if John Wilner's on the scent and, and you're also on the scent as well, like you can't say, Hey, it's just us. Yeah, it wasn't. And it wasn't just us. I like that. Yeah, we came were up hardly because, the first people to say it. Yeah, it was it was a long it was a narrative coming into the season. I, Greg was like, hey, he said a few years ago that he didn't want to coach past what, 60, something like that. Um, so, you know, it was not it was not anything crazy. Anyway, uh, we're here to talk about USC basketball because they're actually really good this year. So we have a bunch of questions. But, Greg, do you want to start us off with our first one? Yeah, so um, Isaiah Mobley's been awesome for USC this year. He's in the running for Pac-12 Player of the Year at this point. Uh, just wanted to know, like, what do you think uh, Isaiah Mobley brings to USC, and how important is he for the Trojans if they're going to make a deep tournament run? Well, he's their best player because, you know, Boogie Ellis, he goes in and out. He runs hot and cold. We, we obviously know that Drew Peterson, you know, generally struggles to shoot, but he picked a, a, a very exquisite time to start shooting the ball well Saturday yeah, against UCLA. Uh, and he and, and Greg, I mean, you know, he also torched Utah in the Huntsman yeah. Center uh, a few weeks ago. So, like, he just he picked on Utah and UCLA. So, basically, Drew Peterson is picking on the No Truck Stops <laughs> podcast. Uh, what a jerk. But uh, but he's USC's jerk, so it's good for us here at Trojans Wire. Um 
but but anyway, USC's players generally run hot and cold, and Isaiah Mobley is one of the more consistent players. And one of the things I see in his game this year compared to last year, better shot selection. You know, he's a little more judicious. Last year, he wanted to take whatever shot came his way. And of course, he had his brother, Evan Mobley, on the court. He should have been giving up the ball more. He should have been deferring. This year, he's at, you know, he could be taking all the shots, but he's not. And he's focusing on his rebounding. He's focusing on his defense. He's really a solid, grounded, two-way player. Um, and, and he's also improved his free throw shooting uh, uh, to a degree. So I see a player who's who's worked on all facets of his game. I see a guy who looks at his brother with the Cavs in the NBA and sees how much of an impact Evan Mobley makes with his defense. And, and, and so Isaiah Mobley really has studied how to be a better defender, how to be a better two-way player. The numbers aren't eye-popping or sexy, but he's, he's become a steadier, more reliable player. And so um, it's going to be interesting to see if he sneaks into the back end of the NBA draft lottery. Maybe, maybe not. Like, I think that's a 50-50 proposition right now, but I think he's definitely going to be like a top 20 pick. I, I feel very safe. Uh, in making that particular call. So he's just the most, the steadiest, most reliable two-way player USC has on a roster, which, uh, you know, Chavez Goodwin, haven't mentioned him yet, provided great defense and rebounding, you know, in November and December. He's gotten into foul trouble in a lot of games recently, and the COVID schedule really seemed to mess with him more than any other player. So through all of the, the ups and downs, Isaiah Mobley's been the constant for USC. And that's part of why it was so surprising that the Trojans were able to beat UCLA without him on the floor. You mentioned his stats weren't eye-popping. His basic stats, you're right, his basic stats is sort of, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the most basic per game stats don't look great. 14.7 points per game off 46% shooting, a good 8.5 rebounds per game, 3.2 assists per game. But the analytics, the advanced metrics absolutely love Isaiah Mobley. He's number two in the Pac-12 in win shares. He's number three in box plus minus. And he's number nine in Pac-12 in the Pac-12 in player efficiency rating. And he leads USC in points per game, rebounds per game, three-pointers made. He's number two uh, for USC in assists. And he's number two for USC among rotation players in defensive rating. Which kind of begs the question, you know, one of the Pac-12 player of the year arguments is, you know, how much worse can they be when uh, Isaiah Mobley's not out there? But they, you mentioned they've done really well, uh, kind of uh, particularly against UCLA uh, without him on the floor. But who, so who, you know, kind of over these past two games is a good test for who kind of needs to step up after Isaiah Mobley. Who would you say is the best or maybe the most important player for USC if they want to make a deep tournament run? Well, you know, so the answer should be Boogie Ellis because they got him from Memphis. Andy Anfield got him in the portal from Memphis, precisely because he's a he can get a, a quick buckets. He can get timely baskets. And, you know, he's done that on a number of occasions this year. But again, with the thing with with Ellis is that he runs hot and cold. And uh, and, and Drew Peterson seems to be the guy who Drew Peterson's the guy who when he plays great, USC very rarely loses. Like when, when Drew Peterson gets into that flamethrower mode, USC gets, you know, a, a perimeter shooter with, you know, with length, you know, he can shoot over the top of defenders, something Boogie Ellis can't do. 
Um, so like when, when he's cooking, uh, USC is great. But in terms of, you know, a guy who needs to step up and, and be more of a central part of the equation, I, I, I look to three different sources. One, Ethan Anderson, uh, you know, veteran, veteran guard, played fairly well against UCLA. But, you know, why can't USC get a consistent eight to ten points from him every night? You know, he, he'll, he'll do that once in a while but not consistently. So that's one source Two, Isaiah white, Isaiah white. You know, if you recall, he went nuts in the sweet 16 game against Oregon from the NCAA tournament. And he hit three, uh, three pointers against Arizona in the Trojans loss in the McHale center. There's a lot of talent and potential there. And, you know, Isaiah white was an important part of last year's elite eight run. He has been in the shadows for most of this year. He had some academic issues that he had to tend to in December, just hasn't been uh, as focused as he was a, a year ago. So if he can regain that, you know, that's also important. And then the other piece is on the bench and not someone who's been underperforming, unlike Isaiah White and Ethan Anderson. This is a guy who's been coming on strong for Andy Enfield in recent weeks, and that's Reese Dixon Waters. Uh you know, against Pacific in that uh, 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 abruptly scheduled game, and you know it was not on the original schedule. But when uh, the Oklahoma State USC game was canceled just before Christmas, USC had another non-conference game to fill, another date to fill. So they uh, Andy Anfield filled that date with Pacific. Uh, he did that in January. The game was played last week. So USC needed that game to avoid falling onto the bubble or falling close to the bubble because, you know, Pacific would be, would have been a quad four loss and the Trojans were down eight uh, early in the second half. They needed a spark. And so Reese Dixon waters and Harrison Hornery who had barely played all year, they got significant minutes and they saved that game with their offensive contributions. Reese Dixon waters was able to get to the free throw line against Pacific uh, six attempts no one else was getting to the line uh, regularly. And then uh, against UCLA, Andy Enfield gives Reese Dixon Waters 24 minutes. Uh, it was partly because Isaiah Mobley wasn't on the floor. So Enfield had to make up 40 minutes of playing time and spread it around uh, his rotation. But nevertheless, he really trusted Dixon Waters. And Dixon Waters came through with 10 big points uh, in those 24 minutes. So you know, he's the guy who's growing into his role. He's a guy who's providing great value uh, for USC off the bench. If, the, if he can, continues to get consistent minutes and produce with those minutes, USC's ceiling definitely rises. So Ethan Anderson and Isaiah White, they've been underachieving. They need to step it up. They're kind of the step it up guys. And then Reese Dixon Waters is the can he keep this up uh, scenario off the bench for USC. So yeah, you mentioned, so, uh, oh, sorry. you mentioned, yeah, sorry. We're, we're, we're real quick. Uh, you mentioned Ethan Anderson, cause I think we kind of forgot to talk about him. He's been pretty disappointing this year. I think he, USC's, USC's backcourt has been much maligned. I think this season uh, among those who are kind of following and paying attention to USC, any risk of Reese Dixon waters, maybe supplanting him or taking away some of his minutes. Well, I think Andy Enfield needs to consider that. And I think that uh, how Andy Enfield distributes his minutes, if you talk to USC fans, like that's one of the foremost questions right now at this point in the season. The, the fans, and I agree with the fans here, they want the younger guys such as Reese Dixon Waters, such as 
Joshua Morgan, such as Kobe Johnson, who's a, been a good passer and a, and a solid defender for this team. And then, of course, Harrison Hornery, who saved their bacon against Pacific with those three three-pointers. Uh, give these guys more minutes. And, you know, it might mean some early struggles over the next few weeks, but then come the Pac-12 tournament, you know, you have a much deeper bench. You have more offensive options. So if if uh, Enfield is willing to trust the younger guys with more minutes and he's willing to see them make some mistakes, you know, it might lead to it might lead to a, a, an unexpected loss at some point in the next few weeks. But it could make USC so much stronger and give the Trojans more ways to win when you get into tournament time and March Madness. So I think that's that's really the outlook here. Uh, whether these minutes are at Ethan Anderson's expense, that's kind of a, a 50-50 ball because, in my mind, I think Max Agbonpolo is the guy who should be getting fewer minutes. Uh, he takes way too many threes given how poorly he shoots the three. Uh, he, he needs to focus more on his defense and rebounding, which he's very capable at, I might add. But Agbonpolo has taken way too many threes uh, and doesn't hit nearly as high a percentage as he needs to with the volume of his shots. Uh, that that has been a limitation on USC's offense. So whether Reese Dixon Waters and Johnson and Morgan and Hornery get more minutes because and Ethan Anderson's playing less, or whether it's Agbang Polo playing less, uh, that is a very interesting question. I don't. I think it's less important in terms of which regular rotation player gets fewer minutes, the more important thing is simply that Andy Enfield does let the younger guys get more run on the court. Given US, given USC's roster uh, and how they've looked this season, uh, be honest, how deep of a run do you think USC can make in the NCAA tournament this year? And uh, what do you think they need to figure out before then? So the win over UCLA was very important for this particular reason. USC was sliding toward the seven or eight seeds uh, in a lot of projected brackets. So the UCLA win puts USC back in the conversation for like a five or a six. I think I think I would put USC right now uh, as a six. And that, of course, that's the seed USC had last year. And, and that, you know, there's value in being a six as opposed to a seven or eight uh you you get a less proven team in the second round you know there are going to be some number three seeds which you know have some noticeable weaknesses um you know you certainly don't want to be falling down to the, to an eight um so if usc for first order of business is to make sure usc is usc's floor in seating is a six you know maybe you work your way up to five maybe even four uh we'll need to beat arizona i think to get a four seed um, but uh, at least stay at a six, no worse than six. And then I think USC can get to the sweet 16. I mean, you saw USC crush Kansas uh, a year ago uh, to get to the sweet 16. So like if, like, let's say USC gets third seeded Providence uh, in a second round matchup, six versus three, USC can win that game. No, no, no doubt. And that's no slander or disrespect to Providence, but it's just Providence is not an overwhelmingly, imposing team providence has been winning close games uh th this year uh they, they they make their free throws late they just don't turn the ball over and we've seen so many times you know a three seed gets to the ncaa tournament because it wins a lot of close games during the year 
but the athleticism is not, you know, that jump out of the building and, and the six or even an 11 seed uh, wipes the floor with that three seed uh, in that NCAA tournament second round game. So I think if USC gets a six, the path is there for the sweet 16. I think that's pretty much what, what, what this team is capable of. Uh, USC would need, you know, Drew Peterson to be in flamethrower mode to go beyond uh, the Sweet 16. And that's obviously not something uh, to rely upon. So I think in terms of how USC gets there, I think, you know, Harrison Hornery shooting, a, making a couple threes uh, in like 10 bench minutes, like the USC is going to need something like that. And USC is going to need, you know, Reese Dixon Waters uh, and Joshua Morgan to play you know, I, at least 18 minutes, if not 20 or 22, give USC some energy uh, on the floor. Uh, and, and also Reese Dixon Waters, he, you know, he gets to the foul line uh, at a level that a lot of other USC players don't. So those are the various ingredients of USC uh, reaching its goal. But having said all that in terms of, you know, how far can this team go? The main goal for USC is to win one NCAA tournament game. Like if, if you told me right now, USC wins a game, loses in the round of 32. I think most fans would take that because you just had the elite eight run and the real disappointment would be to not win an NCAA tournament game. It would be, it would be getting knocked out in the first round. That would feel a little bit like a loss of momentum. But I think if USC wins an NCAA tournament game and you know, the, you know as well as I do, the, the, the Trojans have not won very many NCAA tournament games, partly because they haven't been in the dance very often. But, you know, now under Enfield, um, they're making the tournament more often. And it's just about establishing a culture of when we get to March, we expect to, to, to win some games. Um, so, you know, if, if, if the Trojans win one NCAA tournament game, that's a solid follow up to losing Evan Mobley. And it certainly would give the program reason to be able to continue to uh, work the transfer portal well to continue to recruit well. I think that is really the, the essential goal for this team. So you talked just now about sort of the momentum that USC has coming off their elite eight appearance. Look, I love to make fun of USC because just because it's fun, I will. You're a Bruin. Of I'm, course. A, I'm a, I'm a Bruin, but you know, it, trash talking, just trash talking exists when teams are good. And I like, when USC is good because the trash talk matters. It's not fun when USC isn't good. Uh, it's not fun when Arizona isn't good. You don't get to trash talk, but uh, you know, one of the things about USC is that despite some of the advantages and you mentioned this, they don't really have a rich history of doing much of anything in hoops. They've obviously uh, one thing I've made fun of them for is getting rings for making the late eight, something that I uh, have pointed out a number of times, but really they, they did have a great run uh, coming off an elite eight. It still feels like they're not, getting much love from locals, from students, from fans, from alum. What's it going to take for USC fans to start caring about this program? Because it's been very good lately uh, and deserves more, I think, than just three to 4,000 fans that they get at, at Galen every game. So what's it going to take for, you know, momentum to start picking up in terms of the energy around the team? Yeah, so I think that what, what I was referring to earlier about regularly winning NCAA tournament games, you know, every season, you know, may, maybe one year you win three NCAA tournament games as USC did last year. Maybe this year they'll win one game. Maybe next year they'll win two and get to the Sweet 16. But it's just, you know, 
USC, remember, USC was knocked out by Providence. Uh, you know, when I mentioned Providence as a hypothetical, I wasn't really referring to previous years, but USC played Providence in both the 2016 and 2017 <laughs> NCAA tournaments. But, you know, when USC lost to Providence uh, on, on a buzzer beater uh, in 2016, like that, that was a crusher. And uh, it really was a sour note at the end of what was a very good 2016 season because USC was making the NCAA tournament the first time uh, in several years that year. So, you know, when you lose in the first round of the NCAA tournament, that that is kind of the, the gut punch that USC needs to get past. And, you know, what, what USC is doing right now, what Andy Enfield is doing right now, you know, he's taking – a program without much of a basketball culture, and he's trying to build it. Now, obviously, the Elite Eight run uh, really helped him out, but it, it's all about now sustaining that and being able to take it to the next level. And, you know, it's a problem that Arizona has become so good so quickly under Tommy Lloyd. You know, Arizona is probably going to be a number one seed. At worst, it's going to be a two seed. And, you know, so USC now has to fight through that kind of an obstacle. And, and what, what really changes things for a program without a, a blue blood basketball identity, such as USC is getting to a final four. I mean, that, you know, that is the standard, which, you know, gets national attention, creates a really big splash uh, more than anything else. When you think about, you know, keeping this in the Pac-12, and and the history of the conference, you know, when Arizona made that final four in 1988 under Lute Olson, like everything changed like before 88, that was not a program expected to, you know, make deep runs in the NCAA tournament. It wasn't a program that gained national attention, but as soon as that uh, Steve Kerr, Sean Elliott team in 1988 made the final four to Kansas city playing Oklahoma in the national semifinals, Everything changed. Like in 1989, Arizona was a number one seed, got screwed in the Sweet 16. Kenny Lofton uh, did not commit an offensive foul. Anderson Hunt uh, committed a, a block. He was not set in the paint. Uh, a little digression there. But but the point is, is that Arizona became a heavyweight right after that 1988 Final Four. So, you know, USC's in that patient building mode where, you know, you just, you just have to keep stacking up these NCAA tournament bids, stacking up NCAA tournament wins. And then you hope that by continuing to plant your flag in the middle of March madness, you will continue to recruit well, and then you will accumulate recruits and you'll land the perfect transfer portal uh, prospects as well. And you will just collectively do everything you're supposed to do as a program. And it will eventually lead to that final four appearance. And then once you get that final four appearance, then on the other side of that, then USC can expect to be a number one seed, a number two seed on a relatively regular basis. That is how Lute Olson built Arizona after, you know, coming to tumbleweeds and, and drift in Tucson in the early 1980s. You know, no one knew about Arizona hoops. No one cared about Arizona hoops. It's kind of what Enfield inherited at USC in 2013. So you just try to do everything the right way and you hope it leads to a final four. And then after the final four, if you can get there, then you can begin to expect 
being a top two NCAA tournament seed on a fairly regular basis. That is what, I mean, like that's the long-term goal. Like you can't expect USC to do that this year or next year, but eventually, you know, that's where you want to be. And the elite eight run is important because that, that now makes that aspiration over like a four or five year window realistic. But before that elite eight run, you know, USC pretty much had, I think, you know, maybe a round of 32 uh, ceiling uh, m- most years. But but now with the, after that run, USC uh, can dare to dream a little more. And, you know, Oregon State made the same Elite Eight appearance that USC did. But we've seen the Beavers, you know, they, they've completely collapsed. You know, Beavlet yeah. uh, hasn't had anything in the tank uh, this season. So USC's uh, contrast to Oregon State this season really shows that, you know, something is being sustained. It's just a matter of cashing that into more breakthrough recruiting, more breakthrough transfer portal additions, and that could lead to a Final Four. And just while we're on the subject of the transfer portal, very quickly, the one thing Andy Enfield needs to do in the transfer portal, he needs an elite knockdown shooter. Like, you know, this season has shown – not only that USC misses Evan Mobley, you know, that goes without saying he's a generational talent, but USC misses Taj Edie. Like yes. imagine, mm-hmm. imagine this USC team with Taj Edie still on the floor for one more year. Trojans would probably be like in the hunt for like a number three seed. And they might be giving Arizona a much bit tougher run uh, in the PAC 12 race. Um, so if, if, if Enfield can use another good season and turn it into landing an elite shooter in the portal, you know, cause we know Andy Anfield can recruit long <laughs> rangy defenders, you know, six, eight, six, nine guys. Like he can recruit those guys in his sleep. We know this, but if he can recruit a uh, knockdown shooters and begin to th- think more broadly, that's, that's really in my mind, uh, how USC's path to final four level quality and top three NCAA tournament seeds. That's how it can happen. Okay, so uh, speaking of Andy Enfield, what do you think of the job he's done uh, this year and broadly, what do you think of him going forward? Uh, Apparently, there's been some buzz about him uh, maybe taking the Maryland job. Uh, He's been rumored as a candidate. Uh, What what do you think of all that? So I took over Trojan's Wire in February of 2020. And so it was just before the canceled NCAA tournament, but USC was going to get into that tournament. And it's really interesting. You know, if you remember the lead up to uh, the 2020 NCAA tournament, you know, USC got swept on the mountain road trip, you know, pretty normal thing under Enfield um, lost to Colorado on, on a weeknight and then lost to Utah on a Sunday. And so one of the first stories I wrote at Trojans wire two years ago was, you know, this is unacceptable. You know, Andy Anfield is not making the most of his talent. You'll remember he had Onyeka Okongwu uh, on that 2020 team. So USC was firmly on the bubble after getting swept on that mountain road trip in late February of 2020. So USC then comes home and sweeps the Arizona schools. Uh, we've got a win over Arizona on a Thursday, over ASU on a Saturday, and then beat UCLA on the Jonah Matthews uh, shot at the, at the, bu- at the buzzer. So USC was going to get in uh, even if USC had lost its PAC 12 tournament quarterfinal, which it never got to play because of the pandemic uh, USC still would have gotten in um, USC might've fallen to a 10 
maybe even an 11, was probably going to get in as a nine if it had won that quarterfinal. So that's not officially registered as an NCAA tournament appearance. But if you do count it as an appearance, and you know, because like USC was a lock to get in. Um, if you count that as an appearance, en Enfield is going to make this year in 2022 his fifth NCAA tournament appearance at USC. Now, even if you remove that and you just count it at four when USC makes this year's NCAA field, which it's, you know, it's almost certain to do, just need like one or two more wins and USC will be a lock. Four NCAA tournament appearances, that's the most in USC history. So, you know, there are things that Enfield can work on, but you can certainly see how relative to two years ago when he really wasn't making great use of the talent on hand, he's evolved. He's learned how to juggle uh, a, a, a rotation a lot better and uh, he gets more accountability from his players. You know, that he get he gets his guys to defend well late in games. That's been a very consistent theme over the past uh, two seasons that, you know, inside the past uh, 10 minutes of, of, of regulation time, USC's defense is there. You know, you can generally count on it. Um, so, you know, his ability to coach defense is, really superb. Like he's one of the better defensive coaches in the country. It's being able to recruit offense and, and develop, you know, more ways to win at the offensive end of the floor. That's still kind of the undiscovered territory for Enfield along with scheduling uh, more ambitiously as USC continues to build its basketball brand. That's great insight. Uh, notice you dodged one question there. Is he uh, going to take the Maryland job? Uh, you know, like, see, so he has ties there and it's very possible. Um, but I think that Maryland, there's going to be so much competition yeah. for that job. And, and when you consider that Enfield is on an upward trajectory right now and, you know, he's five and oh against Mick Cronin. Um, <laughs> like, do you, yeah. do you really, are you really going to leave Los Angeles when you have that going on? I don't think so. And I think that's, that's another part of this that, and, you, you know, UCLA is a very good team. Let's briefly talk about UCLA in relationship to USC in the Battle of Los Angeles in college basketball. UCLA is a very good team, you know, going to be like a three seed, maybe a four. Mm -hmm. But that's really good. You know, that, that's, that's, a, that's a solid place to be. It's a place USC would love to be. But let's, let's keep this in mind that UCLA, as, as, you know, as great as the, the Bruins played in that instant classic against Gonzaga, Let's remember that was still a joyride. You know, sometimes you make the NCAA tournament because you're you're a badass and and you're you know the, the the big kid on the block. You're the heavyweight and you just trample everybody. But sometimes you make the Final Four in the way that 1985 Villanova did or 1983 North Carolina State did. And U.S. UCLA's run last year really had it had it had a lot of North Carolina State in it. You know, opponents miss free throws, like yeah. Alabama yeah. missing the free throws, and Franz Wagner of, of Michigan having the nightmare game. That was that was a kind of a 1983 NCA, 1983 NC State vibe to it. And then on the other on the other half, there was some 1985 Villanova with the amazing shooting, Cody Riley hitting 15 foot jumpers. So I mentioned all of that with UCLA to to underscore the point that. I don't think Mick Cronin is about to turn UCLA into basically what Tommy Lloyd has made Arizona this year. I don't think UCLA 
is about to become an annual number one or number two seat. And especially when Juzang leaves um, and, and Jaime Jaquez leaves, you know, uh, the, the idea that UCLA is just automatically going to be floating in that top tier, I, it's possible, but I don't, I don't think it's guaranteed. With so UCLA, you're saying that's a, that's a vacuum. So you're saying that's a, that's a power vacuum that Andy Enfield may benefit absolutely. from kind of occupying for, for the USC job. Like, I think, I think over the next five, seven years, it is an open question as to whether UCLA or USC is going to be the regularly better program. And I think that's precisely why Enfield would be dumb just in terms of his career uh, to give up on, on USC and, and chase the Maryland job or chase maybe the Louisville job uh, and, and leave the Trojans behind because he has a chance to overtake Mick Cronin, not just in the head-to-head rivalry, but in terms of regular annual performance. Now, you know, Arizona is an entirely separate question, but I think that he can really uh, win the battle against Mick Cronin uh, in Los Angeles. I think that's a very realistic possibility. I wouldn't like put down huge money on it, but I would say that it's right there. If, if, if Enfield can take his recruiting and his transfer portal uh, acquisitions to the next level. Hopefully he does stay because uh, it's good for, you know, I think Andy Enfield does not like UCLA. I think he um, he's also just a, a, a very, hateable character but he's also brought <laughs> usc to respect some respectability um and and more respectability than they've had in quite some time so hopefully he does stay because i think it's it's good for the conference and it makes some for some fun basketball and some fun storylines absolutely so i i hear you on that one before we uh let you get off here one of the things you mentioned is uh usc's tournament uh you know positioning and all of that and trying to get some quad one wins they finished the season off with right now three straight uh, quad one opportunities at Oregon on February 26th, uh, at home against Arizona on March 1st, and then at UCLA uh, to close out the season on March 5th. Just real quick, give me a prediction. Do you how many uh, how many of those three games do you think they win? I, I have a hard time thinking they're gonna go over three, but I also have a hard time thinking they're gonna go two and one. So I think I think they'll get one of those three. I, I, First off, UCLA is bound to, to beat uh, USC at some point, right? Like, is Andy Anfield really going to go 6-0 and against McCrone? Is he really going to win three straight years in Poly Pavilion? That, that, you know, just the odds are against that. I think, he either, I think USC will either get the win uh, in Eugene, where, you know, Oregon has already lost to Arizona State, Colorado, and now Cal. Or USC is going to, you know, have an, another Super Bowl-like effort much as it did against UCLA uh, in the Galen Center without Isaiah Mobley. Um, you know, you put Isaiah Mobley back on the floor for that Arizona game on March 1st, and uh, the Trojans uh, have a really good chance to get that. So I think US- USC will get either Oregon or Arizona. I just think the, the, the run of, uh, of, of good fortune that USC's had against UCLA, it's bound to lead to, to a loss at some point. Um, so I think USC goes one and two in those games, but you know, one thing that we're keeping in mind is that after the carnage of this past weekend with Oregon losing to Cal and, of course, USC getting the win over UCLA, Washington State losing a couple games, USC's now really solidified its position for a bye in the first round of the Pac-12 tournament. So as long as USC gets that bye, and ideally if the USC can get a three seed, meaning that you don't play Arizona 
until the championship game, you know, the Trojans will have a very realistic shot at winning the Pac-12 tournament. And so even if they lose to uh, either Arizona or UCLA in the first week of March, well, they'll get another uh, matchup in the second weekend of March in Las Vegas, and they can still boost their seed to the NCAA tournament that way. Great prediction. Good insight on USC's positioning. That uh, That's all we had for you. Thanks so much, Matt, for coming on. It's always good to talk to you. Is there uh, anything or anyone you want to plug as we get you out of here? Uh, you know, just uh, Trojans Wire, Ducks Wire, Buffalo's Wire. You know, we have three Pac-12 sites for all your listeners at the No Truck Stops podcast to follow for Pac-12 coverage. You know, we, so we have the North and the South. We have uh, the West Coast, we have the mountain region, we have the Pacific Northwest. So just follow those three different sites. The guys at Ducks Wire and Buffalo's Wire also do a great job. And, um, you know, on our Trojans Wired podcast, we're going to have a, a little uh, Pac-12 tournament roundtable in the next few weeks with Ducks Wire and Buffalo's Wire. So, you know, you want to follow us, but you also want to follow uh, Ducks Wire and Buffalo's Wire as well. And of course, you know, I will continue to be listening to the No Truck Stops podcast. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Matt. That will do it for us for Greg at Banana Morphs. I'm Carlos at Equity Brewin. Thanks for listening. Thanks for Matt. Thanks to Matt for coming on here. Uh, remember, there are no truck stops here. Not even one.